join us if you dare. It's movie night at your drive-in of terror. Each week, you'll hear about one campy movie for a laugh. One terrifying feature sure to scare your pants off. And one kid-friendly scare for the little ones. Or not-so-little ones, needing a little less terror. The show's about to start. Get comfy and sit down in front. Oh, and one more thing. This episode contains spoilers. Consider yourself warm. Enjoy the show, if you're brave enough. Take it away, Shay. Pull on in to our drive-in of terror for season two, episode 22 of Scare Your Pants Off, because it's movie night. Tonight's fright-filled feature is The Good Son. You grab the snacks, we'll kill the lights. How you doing, Tom? I am really, really good. How are you today? I'm, I'm really good. I actually, I feel like there's something very important that we need to talk about. Oh, okay. There is a gentleman who uh, sees Eric. Uh, he's a regular where Eric works. Um, and he loves our show. Really? Yes. He's a retired teacher. Um, and he still offers his time to substitute teach. And he uh, has got some of his students to kind of like the show and listen to it. He talks about the show. He knows the episodes. Um, he was actually, if I if I am remembering correctly, he was actually um, close by the filming of the first Halloween movie. His name is Bob. And just, hi, Bob. Thank you for listening. Yeah, Bob. Thank, thank you. That's, um, thank you for listening and trying to spread the word. We really appreciate that. That's awesome. Uh, and yeah, I, I love hearing stuff like that. Uh, especially after that email we got uh, a few weeks ago or a few weeks back where we're, uh, we broke into the top 200 and, um, in categories on Apple Podcasts, so always, um, always a cool thing to see and hear, and we appreciate it, guys. Um, you know, uh, keep keep listening, keep watching, um, and uh, if you can, you know, leave a review too. Um, that way, you know, you can tell us what we're doing good or bad. I, I, I'm okay with bad reviews too. Yeah. Um, on top of that, stuff. our Facebook page has more views and is more seen now because uh, largely thanks again in part to Eric, our fantastic yes. promotions guy who does all of the advertising because neither Tom nor I love social media or are <laughs> very sad. So, yeah. um, thank you, Eric. And yes. uh, Bob, one more thing. If you, if you are listening to this, um, stop by when you see Eric. And if you remembered to bring it, uh, he should have with him one of the times soon a, a small thank you and um, just a show of our appreciation for being an, an awesome listener and a good fan. So, yes, thank you, Bob. That's awesome. I love hearing stuff like that. It's it's because you know we do these and then and, you know we record in advance, so it's it's hard to see who it's hitting, you know, who, what, what audiences we're hitting and stuff. So it's always great, great to hear that. And uh, yeah, thank you for being a loyal listener and trying to spread the word because that's, that's what we like to hear, you know, we just try to bring you guys a little bit of enjoyment each week um, through stuff that we enjoy. So that's, that's awesome. I love, love hearing stuff like that. So uh, what's new with you, anything? You know, so really excited because um, we are, we're actually pretty current on our episodes. So the episode we're filming, we are recording right now is literally going to air this coming Friday. Um, wow. We had an initial bank kind of built up, so we were a little bit more in the future, but nope, we are, we are as close to live as this podcast gets. Um, so 
I, it's almost exciting. It almost gives it kind of like a, you know, I don't know, but um, we are getting really close. We're going to be making a Facebook page for our Halloween party because uh, in August is like the last RSVP date, just so we know we have like an actual people count. We are down to two costumes that we're yeah. trying to decide between, and I can't friggin' wait. And um, and um, I believe. In October, we should be able to officially send out our actual wedding invites for February 29th. Yes, I know it's a Thursday. Yes, I know it's stupid, but we love it. Um, it's a leap year. How do we not get married on a leap year? And because um, we have the venue locked down and all we're waiting is for like a couple other things to fall into place and we should have an official invitation sent out. Oh, that's so exciting. So exciting. Big, big, big year uh, this year and into next year. That's awesome. Very, very cool. Wow, that's crazy. I didn't realize how close we are to being like this episode's going to air next week. We had such a bang before and, you know, a lot of it. I've been doing work at my house and just, you know, life happens. That's crazy. So, yeah, it's been a lot of life, but you know what? it happens that's that's why we did what we did and now we are you know exactly. we, we were able to ensure that we stayed weekly and we'll still stay weekly we don't see an end in that site and um yeah it'll be good but what what have you been up to i'm i'm monopolizing the whole beginning so oh no no um not just working a lot got doing the work at my house um very close to being done thank goodness and uh and then it can without way we can we can get back to our normal sort of schedule where it's not you know so much stuff going on and uh stuff like that i'm very excited about your halloween party um but yeah i just it just it's i'm either at work or i'm here doing stuff around here right now but like i said very be done very soon i get an electrician here today and uh, yeah not a whole heck of a lot really um, but the weather's getting nice too, so I'm looking forward to that and getting out and you know hiking and stuff like that. So finally, exactly. finally, I think spring will be here soon. So it's supposed to be. That's what yeah, I, keep I saying. I know, and you know, New England. What do they say? You know, you don't like the weather. Give it, give it 15 minutes. It's uh, mm -hmm. yeah, it just it's crazy here. It goes from. Yeah, I mean, yesterday was nice, but then I work at night, so then I go on break at 11 o'clock, and uh, it's freezing, and it goes, from, you know, so this weather's just crazy, but yeah, yeah, no, I, right now, live kind of a boring life. <laughs> that happens sometimes. Um, all right, well, I believe you have the camping movie this week. For those looking for a lot. It's time for the cappy. I do. This is one of my favorites. Uh, it's it's a really good one. Um, today I'm going to be talking about the 1985 post-apocalyptic zombie horror film that was written and directed by George Romero, and that is Day of the Dead. Now, Day of the Dead is the third installment in the in the Dead series. You got Night of the Living Dead. Um, dawn of the dead and then day of the dead and then after that's like land of the dead then you got like diary of the dead and island of the dead and uh but uh this was the third installment uh coming out in 1985 uh it is at, it is my favorite and I, um i just of i don't know why i was always just this one was always sort of my favorite i mean i love all of them because what i love about george romero is yeah they're zombie films but there is a point behind all of them there is a, a meaning night of the living dead dealt with racism you know at the end you see you know the uh the african-american gentleman be shot by the cops and then it's like who is who's really the monsters is it the zombies or is it you know whatever then you have um 
Dawn of the Dead, which is, you know, deals with consumerism and and stuff like that. And so I really appreciate that with George Romero, that it's not just zombie schlock or horror schlock. It's, there's there's a meaning behind it. And in this one, it deals with uh, the breakdown of communication and how um, a breakdown of communication, a lack of communication can like splinter a society and and. Uh, eventually lead to its complete unraveling no matter the size i mean this could be a big society small society if you don't have that communication um it's just gonna it's gonna disintegrate and uh so i really appreciate uh that about uh romero's films um interestingly he this was part of a, a three film deal that he had signed um and initially he had started working on it after Dawn of the Dead, but then decided to put it off for a little while and did, um, ended up doing uh, the films Night Riders and then Creepshow, one of my all time favorites, Creepshow, um, before this. And, uh, you know, Night Riders was 81 and uh, Creepshow was 82, and then this was 85. Um, so, he uh, he had a big vision for this, and I'm going to get to that after I do a sort of uh, a brief uh, plot synopsis. So at this point in it, the the apocalypse, the zombie apocalypse has ravaged uh, the entire world, and uh, there's a handful of surviving humans that live within a secure bunker uh, underneath the Everglades. And in this bunker, you have some, just some citizens, you have military, and then you have some scientists. And these, the military guys are assigned, have been assigned to protect everybody else, especially the scientists, because the scientists are trying to figure out a, a, uh, the cause of it and, and potentially a cure. Um, but as we see there the lead scientist the dr logan who has been nicknamed frankenstein by the soldiers becomes more obsessed with domesticating the undead as opposed to finding a cure he he thinks in his mind i guess it, 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 it's more like it, it, it would be easier to domesticate it and live with them than to find an actual cure which pisses a lot of people off and in doing so he become this this dr logan becomes more and more unraveled and he's um obsessed becomes obsessed with this idea of to, of domesticating them and it does it piss off the military guys it piss off the citizen because um he's he his behavior is becoming more erratic he's sending the soldiers out more and more to get zombies that to bring them down into uh in into this bunker so that he can you know do his experiments on and you know it's we all know if you're a fan of zombie films domesticating is always a bad idea and you never bring zombies into where you live it always ends bad we've seen it a million times within zombie films in, in this zombie genre you don't do that um and but he is convinced that he can do it he actually has some success they've nicknamed one of these zombies bub and bub remembers very rudimentary things from his life nothing you know he can't do too many advanced things but um he you know, can do like basic tasks that he is remembering from his life. So this convinces him even further that he's just got to keep going in the direction that he's going. Um, and he, the scientist sort of fills that trope within horror films where it's like he starts off doing something good and then he, uh, you know, gets sidetracked and then become, starts getting more and more mad and evil and, uh, you know, crazy and everything. So you guessed it if you guessed it by this point yes it was a bad idea to bring keep bringing zombies down there so chaos ensues um you know it's you have um 
the uh, you know the military trying trying to save people, not necessarily the doctor, because this Doctor Logan, he he's just going crazy, and he is got, uh, him and the head of the military there, uh, Rhodes, are just at each other's throat. Rhodes doesn't like him, um, so uh, yeah, craziness ensues, and uh, I'm not going to tell you the ending because. Uh, I don't like doing that personally in, in when I when I'm talking I'm not gonna tell you uh on it but uh I'm gonna tell you to definitely definitely check this out guys because it is a, a really really good one something I found very interesting is um uh Romero this is his favorite which I thought was really cool um, I didn't know that until I was researching, and uh, that this is his favorite in the in the Dead series. And initially, his he wanted this. He kept telling people it was going to be the Gone with the Wind of zombie films. <laughs> he wanted this to be epic. He and uh, you know he uh, he had just these grand visions of it. Unfortunately, the studio became more obsessed with just getting an R rating um, because they knew they couldn't get anything. Um, you know they they're not gonna get a PG, and they didn't want an X or whatever rating. So they became obsessed with getting it to the point where they could get an R rating, and this really really upset Romero. So he decided to, um, you know, make it on a much smaller budget um, and forego actually any rating. So it was not rated when it first went into into um, the cinema, the theaters and stuff, which uh, I thought was pretty cool that, you know, it, he it, it's still his favorite and he didn't get to do a lot of the stuff that he wanted to do, but um, he wasn't willing to compromise his vision that much just for a rating. So I I think that's really, really cool. Guys, do yourself a favor. Like I said, check check out all of Romero's films, obviously. Even, you know, Diary of the Dead and Land of the Dead and Island of the Dead, which aren't as good or strong. They're still good. It's just like when you have Night of the Living Dead, which is sort of the... Uh, the standard beer within that genre um it's uh yeah it, it's yeah it's tough to to get to that quality again but like i said this is my favorite it's romero's favorite it's 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 a good one um have you are you familiar with it shay day day of the dead i am i i am and i feel like i've seen i don't know that i've seen all of the ones in the whole and the whole thing, uh, I've definitely seen that one. But uh, wild guess, what do you think my favorite is? Oh, uh, I'm gonna say Dawn of the Dead. So it's up there. Um, it's probably my second favorite in the whole thing. But my favorite is actually they're coming to get you, Barbara. It Night of the Living Dead. It literally. Oh, gave good. birth to that genre and i yeah. am i could not be more thankful for that genre being around that and i can't believe how far how far the movies have even come it to, to see zombies grow into this from kind of a taboo thing maybe back then to it's i mean who doesn't love zombie movies now? Everybody loves zombie movies. If there's a zombie in it, I'm probably watching it. Just like sharks, but zombies. Um, yes. You know what I'm curious about? What's that? And I'm looking and I don't see it. So you know how there was a um, a brief period of time where like, there was a series, like a couple books that came out where they took classics and kind of gave them a little bit of... Um, like a creepy twist. There's like Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. There's yeah. Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. There's why is there not a zombie gone with the wind? Not so <laughs> gone with the wind. Gone and back from the wind. Or 
I, I don't know. There, there should be. How is there not? He even had that thought in his head. Why would it not already be a movie? It should be. Anybody listening who has the power to, hello? We need this. That's funny. But, That's a good point. Um, yeah, like you said, all Night of the Living Dead, you can't go wrong with that. I mean, it's such a good one, too. Um, I do, I just before I forget, there has been, there was a remake or requel or whatever you want to call it in 2008 with Ving Rames. Ving Rames is excellent. And then in 2021 or 22, I think 21, um, there was a sci fi show, Day of the Dead Bloodline, it's called. And, and it's not great. I watched it all just because I'm I'm a fan and it's pretty pretty campy um, and uh, you know your typical sci-fi e schlocky stuff. Um, but hey, if you're a fan of the of the genre, it might be worth uh, checking out because uh, you know I'll watch anything anything horror and anything with zombies. I'll end up watching. Like I said, it's not great at all, but and I, it's it doesn't. It, 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 it's it, it's kind of even a stretch to call it Day of the Dead, but somehow they were able to get the rights. So, it's okay. uh, have you seen that? I I'm pretty sure I saw some of it. No, I never actually. It's not even that I wanted to stop watching. I think it's just I think it was just came out of one of those times where there was so many things on that I was watching. I just kind of forgot about it. Yeah. Um. You didn't miss much. I, anyway. I, I yeah, um I, I I would probably try it again. Um, I realize so we've we've had this conversation about me and sharks. I think Ving Rhames for me might be a shark. It's <laughs> hear me up. Um and and again, if Ving Rhames wants to play a shark, I'm probably gonna watch that movie because it's freaking Ving Rhames. So whatever. Um, but I have noticed that even if a zombie movie in particular is bad and they can be very bad but you still love them for the most part but even the ones that are truly horrible and really really hard to watch if bing rames is in it i'm getting through that movie because even if the movie around him is horrible he's not he's bing rames he's fantastic he's funny he cracks me up the entire time and it's how do you you can't pass up a movie where bing rames is battling zombies you just can't I a hundred percent concur with that. That your Ving Rhames is awesome. It's yeah, yep. I I agree. You're right. right. Well, you got anything else for me on uh no. on your campy? No, that's it. Well, then I'm gonna dive right in to the feature. For those brave souls ready for a fright, it's time for the feature. Today we're gonna talk about. The Good Son from 1992. Such a good film. Right? So good. I'm going to start off talking about this movie. Just, just, for, okay. Macaulay Culkin and Elijah Wood are both in this movie. They both star in this movie. They're both like the lead roles in this movie. And, and they're both phenomenal. But Macaulay Culkin has to harness this, this evil embodiment. And he has to have a switch that he goes from sweet and um loving and deceptive to evil and really good at it and he is absolutely a friggin incredible actor and uh the good son was actually the movie that he realized he was maybe getting a little tired of acting so it's amongst the last ones that he would star in uh when he was younger and thankfully through whatever stroke of luck he has come back in his adult years, and I am thrilled to see him in stuff again. So yeah, me too. I love seeing pop yeah. up and stuff. I love it. Mm -hmm. Now, this movie starts out. Uh, you see Elijah Wood's character Mark pulled off the soccer field by his dad to go to the hospital, basically to say goodbye to his mom. Uh, before she died, she promised him that she would always be with him. And he took that so much to heart. Like he, he was convinced that she was not, that she was telling the truth, that she was not fully leaving him. Uh, you see them at the funeral and then at the reception at, I believe, their house. 
and their uncle, uh, sorry, Mark's uncle, uh, approaches his dad and starts talking about this business deal in Tokyo. And initially, you're like, "What the hell? What are you doing? This <laughs> you're at, you're at a funeral. Why are you talking about this?" But he basically lets him know it's it's only two weeks, and if you can close this deal now, you will literally never have to leave him again. So it's two weeks right after the death of his mother that his father is going to have to leave him but as much as that's horrible it it's supposed to be a road to not leaving him anymore for business now what during this two weeks mark will be staying with his aunt and uncle up in maine his dad takes the opportunity to drive him up a little road trip from arizona to maine three days on the way something kind of cool happens you actually uh elijah wood's character is playing on his game boy and it's a little bit of a nod to The Shining when his dad asks if he ever gets sick of bombing the universe, which is cool because in The Shining, uh, Danny stopped playing his video games, ran downstairs and started bothering his dad and said, well, did you finally get, you know, tired of bombing the universe? So it's a little bit of a throwback to that. So now keep in mind that this is the first time that Mark will be meeting his cousin, uh, his cousin, Henry, again, played by Macaulay Culkin. It doesn't take him very long of being around Henry to notice that something is a little off about him, but at first he doesn't know what, but there's just something maybe a little creepy about him. Um, while he's in Maine, he does end up having to see a therapist because his dad's concerned that he's not talking about his mom. He's not accepting the loss. He's not grieving. He's not doing the normal things that he feels people should be doing not really taking into account that people grieve in different ways um now there's a whole list of things that henry did that start to kind of show you how sinister he really is uh he built this bolt gun and it shoots with incredible force there's a whole list of things that henry does and he builds this bolt gun and it and it fires these big bolts really 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 hard with like a lot of pressure and the first time you see this gun he's aiming it at a cat and mark is a little disturbed like oh don't don't kill the cat and henry assures him that he just wants to scare it a little to which mark is okay with he's a little boy i guess you know that's normal um he shoots the gun and it does miss the cat but it goes right into a tree like deep into a tree and mark's impressed you do see Henry kind of allude to the fact, though, that he has discovered that the sights of the gun are a little off and that that might actually be why he missed and that it wasn't his intention to just scare the cat. A little later, you end up seeing he, he runs and gets Mark and says, oh, you know, we've got to go to the shed. I have to introduce you to someone really, really important. And he has no idea who he's about to be introduced to. So he, they open the door. And you see this almost silhouette of something sitting in a chair facing away from them. And when he turns it around, it's a dummy. It's a creepy looking dummy, almost like a paper mache looking face and glasses and a hat. And he's dressed like just like a guy. And he introduces him and says, oh, this is Mr. Highway. It didn't click. Nothing about the name stood out to him. So, you know, um, Henry got Mark to help him carry him up to the top of an overpass. And when they got up there, he says, oh, well, help me put him up here. And they put him on the wall and he sat him up looking down onto the highway and they were looking down at the cars too. And then Henry starts telling him basically that Mr. Highway it doesn't want to go on. He doesn't want to live anymore. He doesn't, you know, he wants to end it all. And he pushes him off the overpass and into oncoming traffic. It's chilling. This scene is so chilling, and it's funny because I remember seeing it as a kid and thinking, "Oh my god, that's not like a kid kid, but like a younger kid." Yeah. And um, and it and it was like pretty shocking then, but like watching it as an adult, it's totally different because he he is just sadistic and he's just crazy and he's so good at it. It's it's oh, eerie. He's so good at it, and you're absolutely right. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, you know, another thing that happens is uh, the bolt gun is back into play and down the sights of the bolt gun is a dog. And 
Mark again, you know, don't hurt the dog. And Henry is just like, oh, yeah, no, I'm not going to hurt it. I just want to scare it. You can see he makes a face. He does. He gives you that look and you know he doesn't just want to scare it. And he shoots and they hit the dog. You don't see the dog getting hit. You do hear it. You hear the yelp. Um, they then take care of the dog's body so no one finds it. So, yeah, spoiler alert, the dog dies if you haven't seen it. Um, another thing that he does is Mark goes down to the kitchen and kind of opens the fridge, almost like he's looking for, like, a midnight snack. And without actually saying it, without actually saying the words, Henry leads Mark to the conclusion that he may have poisoned his family's food. So then Mark starts taking all the food out of the fridge and dumping it down the garbage disposal. And Henry takes that cue as a good time to go and wake his parents up so they can come down and see the deranged Mark misbehaving and and throwing away all the food and going crazy being the bad kid. Brilliant. Freaking brilliant. It's so good. Um, you know, the the mom takes him in and she's like kind of like embracing him and trying to calm him down and um it's 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 a it's an awful scene it's such a good awful scene because that's really now the starting point of they're seeing mark as just the troubled kid and not and a lot less likely now to see what henry actually is at one point mark decides to sleep in Henry little, Henry's little sister Connie's room, who is played by uh, Quinn Culkin, um, because she's he's scared that Henry is going to kill her overnight. He doesn't say it, but he lets you think it's going to happen. Again, fantastic. He wakes up in the morning. She's no longer in the bed, and he rushes downstairs, only to find out that Henry took his little sister ice skating. It's harmless, right? No. <laughs> Mark rushes as fast as he can. Now, it's funny because I'm watching this and this kid is running over ice. He's running over snow. He's running in nasty cold air. You can see his breath. You can see all that stuff. And he's from Arizona, but he's doing this with no problem. Maybe a little bit of a flaw, but still cool. He gets to the ice skating park or like the ice. It's not a rink. It's like a pond that's frozen over. And he sees Henry and his little sister holding hands and they're skating in a circle and Henry's making them go faster and faster and faster and faster. And as he's getting closer and closer to them, finally, Henry lets her go and basically forces her direction towards thin ice through a roped off area. She falls over, lands on the thin ice, and as she stands up, about a second later, she falls in. Now, Henry drops to his stomach and kind of crawls out to her, and he puts his hand out to her. And this scene, let me tell you, probably amongst the most sadistic scenes in the movie when you really look at it is he puts his hand out to her and like even lets her kind of touch it a little but he doesn't actually let her grab it and he's not actually trying to grab her he is putting on a show for everybody looking on now mark is being held back by onlookers because they're scared that if more people go onto the ice it's he they're gonna fall in there's gonna be more people to rescue and finally Two guys with like sledgehammers or axes come in and they break, break, you know, bigger spot of the ice and get the girl out. She does live. She ends up in the hospital. At this point now, Mark confides in Henry's mom and says, I'm pretty sure this was not an accident. I saw, I think I saw Henry do this on purpose. I think he's trying to kill her. Uh, she gets mad, obviously. And there's a scene where Henry goes like late at night to the hospital to his intention is to kill his sister and the lights are really dim and he puts his hand on the pillow and he squeezes it and you know that he's thinking i'm going to pick this pillow up and i'm going to smother her with it now the mother then flicks on the light because she's sleeping in the hospital room with her but he didn't see her at first and all i'm thinking this whole time is that she just heard this about her son she just heard that she he might want to do this. And even if she doesn't want to believe it, you still got to take precautions. I, I feel like I wouldn't have turned that light on at first because I would have wanted to see if there was anything to it. Because if she hadn't turned that light on, he would have tried to smother her and then she would have seen a monster. But she didn't. And he played, oh, I was just worried about my sister. I miss her and blah, blah, blah. 
and then he goes and he, then he goes home. So now um, Henry now realizes that Mark is trying to convince people of the evil that he is. There, he's trying to make people see it so he can be stopped. So then he takes it upon himself to beat him to a therapy session and tell Richard's, uh, sorry, tell Mark's therapist about all the bad things that Mark does and how he's worried that he's going to hurt somebody or hurt himself. And, you know, starts laying that groundwork. Um, We'll fast forward a little bit. And the mother comes home from somewhere. Uh, Elijah Wood is now locked in a room because he was caught with a pair of scissors going into Henry's neck, trying to, you know, thinking about killing him because Henry is now threatened to kill his mother. And in Mark's eyes, that's also his mother now. He breaks free when he sees Henry kind of con his mom into going for a walk like they did when he was a boy because they wanted to talk. On this walk, he basically admits to her that he did kill Richard, the little brother that died previously. And she says, well, we'll, we'll get you help. We'll, we'll, you know, we'll find someone to help you. We'll, we'll make you better. And he told her, well, I would rather die. And he ran off. Now he ran up further up the hill, up to the top of the cliff, and then ducked away into bushes. But she didn't see him duck away into bushes. And she, she kept on running and she was following. And she stood at the edge of the cliff looking down because she thought he jumped, but he didn't. And he came out from the bushes behind her and a little conversating and then pushed her off. She didn't hit the water. She didn't hit the ground. She thankfully got caught by a branch and managed to climb her way up, but not until after Elijah Wood had already arrived and began battling with Macaulay Culkin. This scene is awesome. And they're rolling around on the top of the cliff. And finally, as the mother gets back up, they fall off the cliff. And she, just in time, manages to fall forward and get one boy in each hand. Now, this scene is crazy because they're both, you know, however many feet above the water. It's a sure death if you fall. And Elijah Wood's character is kind of looking at her like he needs help, but he's not really saying much of anything but Henry Macaulay Culkin's character is looking at his mom and saying mommy I need you please don't let me fall I need both your hands and that's exactly what he said I need both I need your other hand what it clicks in her and then she realizes there he's a monster there is something not right and she starts losing the grip of Mark and you can see the pain in her eyes when she makes the decision to let Henry go to grab Mark with her other hand and pull him up now there's other things that kind of led to her suspecting that Mark might not have been lying. She found the rubber ducky in um, Henry's shed that was in the bathtub with the little brother when he died. Kind of saw a, a jealous side that it was Henry's duck and that that duck may have actually been the cause of uh, Richard losing his life. So was, that's pretty awful. Um, a fun thing about this scene too is that um, Macaulay Culkin actually did the fall he actually did the stunt his own stunt wow yeah they had requested it and macaulay culkin told his dad that he would do the scene if he got a bb gun <laughs> so he did the scene and got a bb gun so yeah um he did it. he did a 30 foot drop obviously on a safety harness but um yeah so it made it seamless that's cool that's really cool yeah. What a good film. So Yeah, it's such a good film. Originally, Macaulay Culkin was not cast in this film. Someone else was. And his dad wanted him to be in this movie. And when um, it was initially like, well, we already have somebody, it was, they, they were made to believe that he would be pulled out of Home Alone 2 if he wasn't given this role. So uh, knowing what a force to those movies Macaulay Culkin was, they gave in uncasted the original Henry and recast in Macaulay Culkin. Wow. Um, yeah, so, but that's, I mean, that's really kind of it for that movie. It's a great movie. It's an older movie, so like, you know, check check it out if you haven't, but you probably have. And, um, yeah. I, what do you think about the movie? I love it. I love it. I remember when it came out, um, it just, it was good. It was a, it was a big, dare, like, what a difference from what Macaulay Culkin had been doing previous to this. I, I was like, wow, this kid can act when I saw this. Elijah Wood was great in it. Um, it's one of those, it, it, it's like, it's got you on the edge of the seat 
on the edge of your seat like the whole time because it's like this kid it's infuriating watching macaulay culkin just gaslight this uh everybody you know and uh and making this this uh elijah woods character just come across as the crazy one when he is just sadistic like mr. the highwayman and just uh or mr highway or whatever and uh just all the little things the dog the the ice skating scene like you said it's chilling you know he's you know pretending to try to save her and you know it just it it is just a um just a great, great film. I, uh, I, I can't say enough good things about it. Um, it just really, really good. Um, did do you know you... what I feel like I would have liked to see? What's that? And and I wouldn't want to lose the original. Understand that I wouldn't <laughs> want to lose the original. But I would, I would almost have liked to see it flipped. I would almost, I would, because I'm curious as to how Elijah Wood would have been in that role. Cause I think it would have been great too because he does this dead eye thing that's really yeah like a little bit creepy and and I I I love the original and I wouldn't want to lose the original but I am curious as to how it would have looked flipped too. Yeah, that that would be kind of interesting because they're both great actors. They're both so yeah, that would be that would be pretty cool. Now, have you thought about uh, what you want to write it out of? I have. So throughout this movie, uh, Henry calls his little sister Vermin. And she calls him vermin. And so I'm going to, I want to do a scale of one to 10 vermin. Okay. I'm going to let you rate it first. Um, okay. I really, really like this film. Um, I am going to, I'm going to say 7.5. And in like, and some people might say that sounds low, but it's not. That's, that's pretty high for me. So, um, yeah, like, like I said, I, I, I really think this is a great film. So seven and a half vermin. So that's really funny because that is my exact rating. Actually, I've been th I've been thinking about it since I wrote all my stuff down. I actually even have it jotted on the top of my paper. My yeah, seven point five. I couldn't agree with you more. It's right. it's a great film. Great actors. Great. I mean, yeah, it's it's pretty awesome, and I think it stands up well in time too. I mean, it came out in ninety three, and it's still twenty twenty three. Yeah, exactly. So it definitely still holds up. It's a good one, guys. Do yourself a favor, check it out. It's a, it's a good, very, like I said, suspenseful and just yeah, it's it's good. All right. Well, you have the kids' movie today, right? For the <coughs> little ones, it's time for the kids' scare. All right. Yeah, I do, and. Um, today I'm talking about the 2006 computer animated haunted house film, Monster House. Um, it was directed by Gil Keenan and written by, this is really interesting, I didn't know this until I started researching, Dan Harmon, Rob Schrab, and Pamela Petler. Well, you know, Dan Harmon was the creator of Community, and he has a podcast called Harmontown, and, um... He did, uh, you know, he's done quite a quite a few things. So I thought that was really interesting. And the voice cast here is just amazing. I mean, and you have Sam Lerner, Steve Buscemi, Maggie Gyllenhaal, Kevin James, Nick Cannon, Jason Lee, Fred Willard, John Hader, Catherine O'Hara, Kathleen Turner. I mean, it's just a, a who's who of um, voice uh, the uh, with the voice cast. Um, it's, it was done using live action mocap or motion capture animation, which um, it was previously used in uh, the Polar Express in 2004. So it's that sort of style of animation, which is, uh, I think it's, I, I really, really like that style of animation personally. Um, it was a fairly, fairly big hit. It did a it did 142 million at the box office versus a 75 million dollar budget, which is pretty high, 75 million. But you got to think it's that mocap, so they're paying for all that. Plus, you got to pay the salaries of all these voice actors. So um, it's uh, and it almost doubled at the box office and going on to make even more through VOD, all that stuff. It uh, was produced by Robert Zemeckis and Steven Spielberg and. It was actually up for an Academy Award for Best Animated Feature Film. It did not win. It lost to Happy Feet, but 
still pretty cool that it was up for uh, Academy Award. Um, so I'll go, I'll just give a brief synopsis guys on October 30th, the day before Halloween in 1983, um, a 12 year old DJ Walters witnesses elderly Horace Nebercracker, Nebercracker, ugh, say that 10 times fast, uh, confiscating a little girl's tricycle and, uh, scaring her away from the house. And now DJ has seen this numerous times where this Nebercracker, um, he confiscates stuff that gets on his lawn or too close to his house. And, um, you know, he, he just thinks DJ, you know, just thinks he's just this angry old evil old man, you know, or whatever. But, uh, you know, he, he kind of watches him. Uh, that same day, DJ's parents leave town for a convention and, um, and place him, uh, in the care of his babysitter. Zane. And, um later his friend comes over and they're playing basketball and the basketball rolls onto mr nebercracker's lawn and the boys go to retrieve it but he stops them and takes it uh but as he's doing this he appears to suffer a heart attack and is taken away by an ambulance later we see uh the, the babysitter's boyfriend show up and he's all drunk or he's drunk and he tells a story uh, about how he lost his kite and, and that the rumors about mr nevercracker being a um eating pete eating his uh eating his wife and you know just the typical kid stuff where they build this up in their heads and you know the rumor and uh so eventually the baby, she throws him out for being drunk and whatever. And uh, as he's leaving, he notices his kite over on the uh, on the porch. So he's like, oh, I'm going to go grab it. He goes to grab it and he is devoured by the house. Um, and uh, so then uh, DJ and his friend Chowder are, they start to investigate what happened to him, blah, blah, blah. And uh, they are... Um, attacked by the house but they're able to call the cops um but when the cops come the house quiet and they just dismiss the report they, hey it's just kids being kids whatever um so perplexed and trying to figure out what's going on they um consult with a supernatural expert named reginald Skolinski, um who informs them that he believes the house must be one a rear monster that is created by the merging of a human ghost and a man-made object and that man-made object being the house so a human ghost merged with the house and the only way to stop it is to uh or unbound the spirit is to destroy the heart um so the boy is thinking oh okay it must be mr nevercracker he must have died um you know and uh he must have possessed the house because you know he's taken away in the ambulance so uh they're trying to devise a plan and they come up with the idea okay let's build a dummy child and like basically a scarecrow style something like that if you picture it and fill it with cough syrup and the cough syrup will uh cause the house to uh fall asleep uh and just they had stolen uh, they did steal all the cough syrup from chowder's parents pharmacy so and uh you know the idea is once it goes to sleep they're going to get to the heart and destroy the heart so you know officers realized that a bunch of stuff was stolen they tried to arrest the children but they were eaten by the house um and then the dummies eaten the squad cars eaten the kids are eaten um so at this point the kids uh seem to uh, start to explore the house they're looking for the basement and in their surgeon, they find all the missing toys over the years. And in the basement, they also find the remains of uh, Mr. Nevercracker's wife, Constant the Constance the Giantess. And her uh, remains are encased in cement. So at this point, the house awakens from its, you know, little slumber from the cough me uh, medicine um, but the kids are able to escape because they grab the equivalent of the house's uvula, a little thing, dangly thing in your throat, and uh, force the gag reflex. So, um, and then uh, we see Mr. Nebercracker return home from the hospital alive, 
and he lets them know that actually Constance is the ghost. And what had happened was she was part of this, uh, a freak show at the circus, uh, unwillingly, and she lived in a cage and they tormented by throwing things at her. Um, and he had helped her escape and married her. But um, on Halloween during the house's construction, some kids threw some eggs at her and she first scared and then mad she grabbed an axe but when horus tried to stop her she um fell into the ba unfinished basement to her death and her body was coated in cement and so mr horus uh he finished the house in her memory but unfortunately her vengeful ghost still mad about what happened with the kids and then her dying merged with the house and became this monster house and for the last 45 years mr uh he had been acting the way he did taking the kids stuff when it came to their house to actually protect them it wasn't it, he he took on that demeanor of a of a mean per uh a cranky old man to protect them and uh it, you know so the kids let him know that he's gonna let let her go and, and uh she hears this, becomes mad, lifts herself out of the ground, starts on sort of a rampage. Um, but and then the kids, they're using construction equipment, excavators to attack Constant. It's, um, and she falls into a construction pit, um, but she's not fully destroyed. So uh, Jenny, she lights the dynamite and they throw it into the chimney and destroy the house. And at this point, Constance is finally freed. She, uh, uh, we see her ghost leave the house, the remains of the house. She does a quick little dance with uh, Horace and then makes her way to heaven. Um, at this point, the kids gather at the house to, uh, to grab the remaining stuff that had gone missing over the years, that he had taken over the years. And we see all of the people that have been devoured over the years escape the house alive. And that is Monster House, a fun little movie, a fun little, um, for this movie, I mean, it's, it's pretty tame. I, I, I don't really see many age restrictions on it. Six, seven, I think would be fine. You know, what do you think? I'm going to be completely honest with you. This came out in 2006. My son was born in 2004 and he saw it when it came out and loved it. So yeah, it's, it's, it's very tame. It, yeah. You know, your kids. And, you know, it's obviously judge for yourself, but I, I don't see, I, I don't see a lot of reason to restrict it to, you know, younger kids. I, six is probably great. Again, mine, mine was maybe two <laughs> and absolutely loved it. So, yeah, it's a, it's a fun one, guys. It's a, it's a good concept to it. And like I said, great voice cast. I can't say enough good things. Just uh, check it out. All right. Well, you got anything else for me, Tom? I do not. All right, guys. As always, thanks for listening. Be sure to tune in next week when Candyman is on the big screen. Until then, sweet dreams. Thanks, guys. As always, thank you for listening. Feel free to reach out to your hosts by email at scareyourpantsoff9 at gmail.com or find us on Facebook. Be sure to like, subscribe, and turn on notifications wherever you get your podcasts. If we haven't scared you away yet, you're our kind of people. So check under your bed and keep your feet under the covers if those closet doors shut. <laughs> Until next week, my friends.